19 is where we're at this morning. Uh, we're jumping into the book of Acts kind of two-thirds of the way through. We've been preaching through Acts for the last two years about this time of the year. So if you're just joining us, we're, we're jumping in here a little bit into the book. Just a by way of reminder in the, the, the calendar of the church here, uh, we are in the season of Easter tide. And it's true that uh, this time of year, life runs pretty fast, and Easter celebrations kind of leave us a bit fatigued. But I just want to remind us that we are in a, a season of feasting and celebration still, because Christ is risen and His kingdom is come. So may that be the tone and tenor of our worship this morning and our life throughout the week. Now, we've just crossed the finish line of Luke's gospel, that's his first writing that we have. Now we enter into his second book, The Acts of the Apostle, also written by Luke. And we're going to be walking with Paul, the Apostle Paul, through his final uh, third, one-third of Luke's gospel. And today we're going to jump into Paul's uh, third missionary journey. And we're, as he's, he's going through, he's strengthening churches which he previously planted. Uh, God is calling nations to himself through that ministry. We, the body... Follow the head who is Jesus Christ. And we grow in knowledge of him as he grows the church. So you'll hear me say it a couple of times a day, and we'll, you'll hear us say it every sermon and acts here. As the head goes, so goes the body. Christ goes before us in his word, and we follow in hum humility and in obedience. To that end, will you join me with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that your word is living and active. Help us to be attentive to your word now and throughout our days, O oh Lord, that we might be conformed to the image of your dear Son from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all these things in his glorious name. Amen. Acts chapter 19. I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 20. Here's where our passage ends for the morning. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Jesus is on his throne raised and ascended to reign now and forevermore. He is sovereign over all, and Jesus continues to build a house for his name, continues to build his church throughout the world. If you want to sum up the book of Acts from section to section, it is verse 20. The word of the Lord continued to prevail mightily and to increase. How is this evidenced in this passage? So look back at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Now we're jumping into the story of the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. And we are now traveling with Paul to the ends of the world. And since we're just jumping in here, I think I should probably try to set the table a little bit on what we've kind of missed from the life of Paul for not having preached on it recently. When it says in chapter 19, verse 1, that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, that places us in history. Remember, Paul had been converted, and for about 14 years, he was discipled by the apostles. And then following some of that time, then, he takes off from a, a city of Antioch, and he travels around Asia, planting churches and, and furthering the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I've got a map to help us. There we go. 
Um, you can see Jerusalem down in the lower right-hand corner there, and you can see Corinth on the far left-hand side of the map as that little dot there. So this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. If we were to read back in chapter 18, we would see the conclusion of that journey. So what we have is that star up to the kind of the middle on the right-hand side is Antioch. That's Paul's home base. That's where he gets fed and nourished before he takes off on his three missionary journeys and then off on to Rome. Now at Antioch, he goes through Asia there uh, in the second missionary journey. He crosses over the Aegean Sea and winds up down in Corinth. If you're taking class in the Sunday school hour with us in the adult class, we're studying Corinthians, his time in Corinth for about a year and a half. He ends chapter eight, Luke ends chapter 18. Paul's second missionary journey ends with a brief stop at Ephesus. First time there for Paul. And then he comes down to Jerusalem and back up to Antioch. Now, where we are at is the third missionary journey. This is so we can, uh, we can see that Paul has finished two kind of circuits here. And now this third missionary journey is a brief summary. In chapter 18, starts it out. He's just traveling up through the region of Galatia, down to Phrygia, and he winds up in Ephesus. While he's in Ephesus, when he gets there, there was a guy uh, named Apollos. And he was in Ephesus before Paul got there. Uh, but but when, by the time Paul gets to Ephesus, Apollos is over there in Corinth. All right? So this is the, when we jump into Acts 19, this is the, the map. This is what the, the geography of what you have in mind. Paul's over here in, in Western Asia in Ephesus. And then you've got Apollos in Corinth there. Again, the second missionary had finished. Jesus fires the starting gun for Paul, and he's off again, and he makes his way to Ephesus. You guys got that map memorized? Okay, we're going to go ahead and pass on that map. Good job, everybody. Uh, just I want you to note here that the gospel advancement is not waiting for Paul to get anywhere, right? The gospel is moving. God's word is increasing. It is prevailing even before Paul gets to Ephesus, See, uh, he has fellow tent makers throughout the regions he's already been. He's got folks by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. And they're mentoring a certain man named Apollos in that city of Ephesus before Paul gets there a second time. Apollos is, is powerful in word. He's immature in knowledge in some ways, but he's, he's mighty in the spirit. He, he knew only John's baptism is what Acts 18 tells us. And what was John's baptism but a preparatory baptism, right? Repentance. He's preparing the way for Jesus. But all Apollos had known was this baptism of John. And so Priscilla and Aquila, as Apollos is teaching, Priscilla and Aquila have to come alongside him and teach, serve him so that he can serve others as he soon makes his way to Corinth. Now, remember, this is the season of Eastertide here for us in this church and throughout the world. We remember in Acts that Jesus is building his church. Each member of his body is doing his and her part throughout the world. Priscilla and Aquila, for instance, are these living stones who are building up a temple or a house for God in Ephesus as Paul travels throughout Asia. The temple of Christ is being built. Apollos is also sent to raise up living stones, others who would follow Jesus and build upon the foundation who is Christ. And Paul is going throughout Asia at this time, and he too is raising up living stones that would form the temple of Jesus Christ, a house for God's name in every region that he's going. Regardless of our faults and our failures, 
Jesus is building his house. We, the church, we who are Christ's body, we are his holy temple, are built upon him as our chief cornerstone. And he builds up his living temple that we might depart from weekly worship to go out into the world. Why? To be agents of change, transformers of a fallen world into the glory and image of Christ. Now, what does that transformation look like? Well, we see that at different key points here in the book of Acts. So I want to remind us as we go through Acts, remember, whatever happens to the head happens to his body. What happens to Jesus, we will see, happens to his apostles throughout the book of Acts. Jesus has given himself for the transformation of the world. As the head goes, so goes the body. What that means for us is that we shouldn't be surprised as we live faithfully in Christ. We should not be surprised or alarmed when oppression rises and when persecution threatens. Wasn't that the mark of Jesus' life here as it was the mark of his body in the book of Acts? It will be the mark of the life of those who follow Christ. As the head goes, so goes the body. But we should also, therefore, live confident in Christ. He's risen. He is reigning at this moment. He will reign forevermore to protect His body, to provide for His holy temple. This is at the heart of our study in the book of Acts. What happens to Jesus will happen to His body. It gives us great confidence as He is risen to reign forevermore. So back to verse 1 of chapter 19. It happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. Paul is among some disciples in Ephesus. Ephesus is the third largest city in the Roman Empire, comprised of freemen. Uh, A large Jewish population has been rooted in this large metropolitan city since the days of Ezekiel and Daniel and Having been earlier received in the synagogue, this is Paul now, as he passed through on a second missionary journey, he preached in the synagogue, and he was received well. As he departed, he said, I'll be back. And they said, we want you to come back. Paul, then now, on this return trip, he meets with some disciples. And it seems like these disciples have some need for growth. Verse 2. As he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Does that ring a bell? Just like Apollos baptized into John's baptism, this baptism for repentance, preparing the way for King Jesus. Remember here that as Paul is going into Ephesus, he's preaching here, teaching here to Jews or God-fearers who are familiar with the Scriptures and are seeking to be faithful now to Jesus Christ. And they're learning in the same way that Apollos had to learn from Priscilla and Aquila who Jesus is and what it is to follow Him. So these people would have read or heard or known the Scriptures of the Old Testament that we would call the Old Testament today. So they would have known that there is a Holy Spirit. So their, their comment here is more along the lines of, we didn't know the Spirit was available to us, accessible by us. And what we see here in this passage is the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and later in Samaria through Peter and John's ministry there. So here the Spirit is given as they are baptized. 
These are disciples is what Luke tells us. These are followers of Jesus who are growing in the knowledge of Christ. And just as Jesus promised, he would give the Spirit to his followers. Verse 4 and 5, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What was John's baptism? It was for repentance, right? There was a preparation for one to come after John. So there is here a, a need for growth or maturity in knowledge of Christ. John the Baptist, he, he, he baptized. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John's mantra became, behold, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, I must decrease. In Ephesus here, these disciples are learning, are growing. They're moving in the right direction. We could say they remain immature, but they are receiving the teaching of God's Word, and they are growing in knowledge and practice. Do they remain a bit immature? Absolutely. But this is good, isn't it? They are moving in the right direction. Look, we all do our part to walk alongside whomever we are called to walk alongside, wherever they are at. And so we seek to meet them, whatever station in life they inhabit. As I was studying this passage, a lot of ink was spilled by the commentators asking whether or not these disciples were true disciples of Jesus Christ. It seems a silly thing to ask. What would you do either way, whether they are disciples or not disciples? You would say, look to Jesus, right? And so this is what I think is we're to, to see here. They are to mature in Christ, to walk in light of Him to receive instruction in God's Word, to be guided by His Spirit, to pray with and for the soil of the heart to receive Christ more fully. See, ministry is always and ever accomplished by the power of the Spirit. I think that's the point of our passage. Rest not in the wisdom of man or in the eloquence of speech, but in the power of the Spirit. Baptism is the image of water and spirit, this is the image of creation, of renewal, refreshment, and that is accomplished by the Spirit. It's clear in our passage that the baptism is not simply a good idea, that it should not be withheld unnecessarily, that maturing in Christ is necessary. These di disciples here, they're, they're, you could think of them as infants in the knowledge of Christ. In, in their infancy, they, they were baptized and they were granted the Spirit. Verse 5, that's what it says. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 6, and when Paul lay, had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. They were baptized in the service of the king. Now, tongues and prophesying, this supernatural activity, governed by the Spirit, they're not normative results of, of baptism. We don't see every case of baptism. This is the uh, result here. But when these things show up, these tongues and these, this prophesying, what it does is it validates the ministry that is happening there. It says this is a work of God. This is a work of the Spirit amongst Jesus' apostles and in His followers. 
When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended, and the voice of the Father proclaimed him as Son. At Pentecost, the Spirit descended, and it was evidenced by speech and tongues. It's certainly no accident that here, then the number of disciples here that are, are baptized begin to speak in tongues, validating the ministry, the work in that region there. And it's no surprise that there's 12, right? Number of Israel's tribes, the number of disciples. The life of Jesus is taking shape in the life of his apostles, right? As the head goes, so goes the body. What happened to Jesus is happening to his body, even here in Ephesus. Verse 8 and Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. And 10 summarizes this way. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now in there, verse 9 talks about the persecution, the opposition that was raised as well. For two years, Paul is teaching and preaching Christ and him crucified. First in the synagogue, he's showing Christ the fulfillment of all of scriptures until he's rejected by them. In the synagogue. Then the Jews speak against the Holy Spirit and of Christ and are shut out from God's kingdom. Paul teaches and preaches in a lecture hall day in and day out, day in and day out. For two years, his preaching, the Word of God, is saturating the, the city of Ephesus and the wider region in Asia. And the summary text says that, that God's Word continues to grow. Now, the growth of the body is never without trial. And hardship, because that's the way it was for the head. As it is for the head, so with the body. As Jesus was persecuted, so will his body be. Verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now we're getting to the good stuff, right? The good news of Jesus Christ is prevailing uh, through word and through deed. Jesus came healing, giving sight, casting out demons. So when we go to the book of Acts, we see Peter, James, John, or a healing, casting out demons, are following suit. So now God is working through Paul in like manner. The body's following the head. Jesus told his disciples, if you remember that passage, he said that they would do greater works than even he had done. And so people were healed simply at Peter's word, and even at his passing shadow were people healed. Now a woman, you remember in Jesus' life where a woman touched uh, just the, the hem of his robe and was healed. But look at what's happening here in Ephesus you know, Paul's a tent laborer, and he's got these sweat rags, and people are taking them, and others are being healed by these things. I mean, if only we still had those, those rags, wouldn't that be great? You know, you got a sniffle, you got a man cold. The only cure for that would be a healing rag or COVID, the pandemic, cancer. I mean... Well, look, the, I mean, we know the power doesn't lay in the rag, right? Nor in any, any relic. It, it, the, the power lie in, in the Spirit of God moving to heal, to restore, and to renew. We, humanity, we always have this desire to take hold of some object and, and to, to, to manipulate it, to, to, to make it work. Devoid of 
outside forces. We want control of that, don't we? We tend to get into trouble when we look to the instrument rather than the giver of that instrument. See the, the healings here, the exorcisms. They're, they're serving to heal and to restore. But the wider purpose throughout the book of Acts is you see these, these works of these mighty miracles happening. The purpose is to validate Jesus as king. That he is risen and he is reigning and he is more powerful than any God, any creature in the world. Look, not to Paul's hands. Don't trust in his work apron or his sweat rags. Look to Jesus whose word creates, whose word recreates, who renews, who restores. He must increase, we must decrease. That is the mantra of our church. The Spirit empowers and accomplishes the work which Jesus sets out to do. And in case the reader isn't convinced that this is the case, Luke gives us the following story in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Do you remember when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain? And they, he goes down, Peter, James, and John, and they're down in the valley, and there's a demon possessing a boy, and, and none of the disciples can cast him out. And Jesus says, he, he rebukes them, doesn't he? Why? He said, you have a little faith. Look to me. Now here, Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but the demon rebukes them. Ah, that's Paul, I know. Well, who are you? The evil spirit rebukes the Jewish exorcist. It was a common practice in the day as the Old Testament reading even showed us here. Why didn't the name of Jesus work in this situation? Well, look, Jesus is not a talisman. He, his name is no mere incantation. These sons of a certain high priest sought to wield the power of Jesus' name to void a covenant relationship with him. As if the name of Jesus is just another tool in the arsenal. Any old fool can purpose for his own ends, but Jesus is no talisman. His name is no mere mantra. He refuses to be manipulated for our own ends. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is the stronger man by far. And so to call on his name is to call on his person, not some abstract power. In the land of the Gerasenes, there was a strong demon-possessed man who abused others. Chains could not even hold him. Yet Jesus cast the demon out, and the strong was subdued. This house was cleansed. Jesus comes as the stronger man to cleanse the house, to plunder the house and leave it empty. The question for the Gerasenes, as the, the question for these folks here is, well, what will you fill that empty house with? When the stronger man comes to clean house, what are you going to fill that house with? Verse 16 and following. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of Jesus was extolled and also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing, divulging their practices. Fear 
fill the house. You're like, really? <laughs> of course, this event, what is going on here? And these, these powers, fear filled the house. Fear filled all of Ephesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of faith. The name of Jesus is extolled in this instance. It is magnified. Jesus is not some magic relic to ward off evil, but rather his name is to be used as a form of praise, the name that is above all names, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The fear of the Lord is a synonym in Scripture for faith. It's a submitting to, it is a trusting in Christ. And to evidence this, as this house is being cleansed by the stronger man, Jesus. What we have in Ephesus, particularly with the church there, is that Jew and Greek alike begin confessing wrongs. They profess Jesus' name. They reveal practices, ways of life that they live contrary to God's word. What they do then is they destroy a mountain of priceless books in submission to Christ in His way, the Christ whom Paul preached. They turn from sin, and they turn to Christ. Scripture says elsewhere, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. These converts see the folly of serving false gods, sins that entangle them, and they look to Jesus. They look to His work on the cross and in His resurrection. So what's the point of all this? What, this little episode here in Ephesus, why are we given this by Luke? Well, verse 20 says this, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Why was Paul there for two long years? So that the word of God might increase and prevail mightily, which means it was more than one long church service. For in it, we see that lives are changed. Old ways are forsaken. God's word is going out to transform hearts and minds, the way in which life is lived. As we walk through the book of Acts, this is what Luke is trying to show us time and again. Jesus is building his church. The body of Christ will increase and will prevail. Though we may not face the same difficulties that Paul and company face here, the same difficulties, same trials, and our world is vastly different, yet the principles here remain the same and true for us today. Jesus remains the stronger man. We have a lot of different creeds in our world today, vying for a place of truth. Many forces opposing the goodness of Christ in His body. Philosophies, ways of life contrary to the gospel. And yet, Jesus sits on the throne. Jesus reigns. In our weakness, He remains strong. Remember as we depart these walls of this church, Jesus is the stronger man. You have nothing to fear. Secondly, we see that we continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge of Christ. We have Christ. We have the riches of Christ as well. Individually, we grow. As a body, we grow. 
Ours is simply a long obedience in the same direction. Have we arrived? Not by a long shot. We continue to grow, to mature in Christ. And we have to know this. We have to trust this, that the word of the Lord will increase. The word of the Lord will prevail. Your labors in the Lord are not in vain. Our king is sovereign and reigns now and forevermore. Christ our King is risen. He is ascended on high to reign forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. The work begun here in Ephesus continues today. We gather as His body to be strengthened, to be nourished, to depart in His peace and serve Him daily. We depart in His peace as His holy temple, a holy temple which is given for the life of the world. See, the gospel will go forth in power. Christ's kingdom will grow to fill the earth, to the far ends of the earth. Our risen king will one day return and put all things to right once and for all. And so while we await our king and while we await his day, we work. And by his blessed grace, we bear fruit. We give ourselves to the work of his kingdom for the glory of God, for the good of his church, and for the life of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are patient and kind with us. Teach us what it is to follow you, to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of Christ, to trust that you are strong, Christ. You will provide for us. You will sustain us in our weakness and in our persecutions and oppressions. We stand uh, before you now humbled, eager to serve. Lead and guide us in the power of your spirit. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This time now we uh, come to a time of offering. Instructions are, print, are given here for us uh, for online giving. There's also a box in the back of the sanctuary there. You can tr put your offering in there as you depart this morning. Would you please rise now and we'll sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us yourself through your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And we give ourselves to you now through these tithes and offerings that our lives might be used for the furtherance of your kingdom in our midst and throughout the world. It's in the name of Christ we pray all of these things. Amen. You may be seated. would like to welcome you to the table of our risen King. 
we, the body of Christ, are to be given for the transformation of the world. And that happens only as we ourselves are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to the next. And our confidence for this way of life comes from this, that the Word of God will prevail, that we will go forth confronting, convicting, converting, and comforting. Why? Because Christ has risen, and He is on the throne. He has ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God forever. He does, and He does not leave us to our own devices or to work by our own strength, but He grants us His Spirit to work as His body. That very truth is manifest here at the table of our King. Jesus descends to eat with us, to drink with us through His Spirit, to serve us, to strengthen us for life in His kingdom. Like Jesus, the Father is thankful to receive us, to take us, and then He breaks us, and then He gives us for the life of the world. At the table, it's a promise that He will sustain us. He gives us this meal as a feast of victory, a meal to strengthen and uphold for holy service. So the invitation stands to those in Christ. Come hungry and come thirsty. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now this meal is for those who are in Christ, who are baptized in Him, members of His body, and follow Him day in and day out. If this is not true of you, I invite you to remain with us, but not to partake of the meal at this time. But myself, Pastor Dave, we would love to talk to you about what it is to follow Jesus. For those of you in Christ, this meal is for you to be strengthened and to find rest in the peace of Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. Let us do likewise. Blessed are you, Lord of hosts and creator of all, for in your compassion you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to bear our sins and to be our Savior. As we eat of this, the bread of life, strengthen us in your love and assure us of your grace that we might serve you gladly all of our days. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. He then broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this as my memorial. In the same manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks. Let us do likewise. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the living water and the true vine. As we drink of him, grant us your peace, your rest, and your everlasting joy, that we might serve you all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.